Well, you know, each month we try to spotlight various ministries we support beyond our doors, particularly missionaries. And you've noticed that in the past several months we've had different missionaries highlighted. Well, this morning I am going to present to you a video that is not focusing on any missionary, but the reality that there are still people many peoples around the world who have yet to hear the gospel, who have yet to even sing these praises that we have sung this morning, who have yet to hear the name of Jesus Christ, not even once. And so one of the challenges that the elders face is determining how does Foothill Bible Church prioritize of whom and where do we send and support future missionaries. Watch this video. The missionary question is not, where are their unbelievers? And then send a missionary there. There are unbelievers everywhere. The missionary question is, where are their peoples who don't have any Christians in them? Or don't have a church strong enough to do the neighbor evangelism that we can do if we just want to do it? That's the missionary question. That's the question of peoples and nations. How many are there? How many are unreached? purpose of God for the nations 
Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. God's purpose is that he be praised. That's what God's purpose is in the world. Oh, that we could get a heavenly mindedness about the world so that we see it the way God sees it. Lives are a vapor. Eternity is long. Heaven is ecstatic with joy. Hell is horrific with pain. These are the great realities. very sobering. It's sobering to see they represent people, people groups. And many of you are wondering, well, what's a people group? A people group is, a, is an ethno-linguistic group that shares a common language, a common history, customs and practices. And, and currently, there are over 11,000 people groups that are identified around the world of over 6.8 billion. Those are just numbers, I know. But mission experts have identified that over 58%, over half of them, representing 3.9 billion, are identified as unreached. And what I mean by unreached, it means that there's no indigenous group, a, a community of believing Christians. That means there are no endeavors, missionary endeavors, no types of outreach to these peoples. Mission experts believe that there is a minimum of, it takes maybe one full-time worker for every 50,000 people. That would be considered reached. One in 50,000. Currently, 90% of the unreached people live within the 1040 window, and we've talked about that in the past. Well, earlier... Carlos read Romans chapter 15. And open your Bibles there to Romans chapter 15, verses 8 to 21. And this morning, you're probably wondering, well, where's Pastor David? Well, Pastor David is, uh, is filling in for Pastor Jeremy at Summit Bible Church. And he asked me some time ago if I would like to preach. And I told him that it's been my heart's it's been my burning desire to, to consider what the Apostle Paul wrote there in Romans fifteen twenty, And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. You know, this passage intrigues me when considering international ministry. Now, this idea of being intentional, uh, to deliberately go and declare the gospel to peoples beyond our normal sphere of influence, you know, it's relatively new within the uh, Protestant Bible-believing community. There was a group called the Moravians. They were of, of German and Austrian background that, that believed that the gospel should be preached, and they, they sent out families around the world uh, 
But within the English-speaking community, there was a gentleman by the name, a Baptist pastor, who was a shoemaker by trade, and his name was William Carey. As he was studying the scriptures, he saw, he began also reading about unreached peoples as as England was spreading its influence around the world, and there were uh, reports of all these different types of people. And as he was studying the scriptures, and over a period of time, the Lord just impressed upon his heart that the gospel needs to be preached to those peoples beyond our sphere of influence. And the Lord used him greatly while serving over 40 years in India, where Christ was not named or worshipped. And he was a firm believer of God's sovereign plan. As a matter of fact, he was ridiculed for even, why go out there? If God, God doesn't need you, but William Carey believed God uses means. He uses people. He uses the gospel to proclaim and declare his glorious name. And he's attributed, William Carey is attributed with this famous quote, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. I believe this expression was similarly expressed by the Apostle Paul. And so this morning, we're going to explore why the Apostle Paul expected great things from God and sought to attempt great things for God in order that we, we, you and I, we too, may participate and follow likewise. Let me give you first the background. Kind of establish context here. Why did Paul even write this in Romans 15? Well, the Apostle Paul, he writes to the Christians in Rome, both Jew and Gentile. And he recognized one important theme of God's plan through his life. It's found there in Romans 1. You don't need to turn there, but um, Paul says he was called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And he received this grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of the name of his name among all the nations. And Paul, in, his, in this epistle, he lays out that through the gospel, this good news, he recognized that this gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone, everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's found there in Romans 1, 18, uh, 1, 16. Why? Why did Paul write that? He says in two verses later, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's what we saw in the video. Are peoples who have suppressed the truth. Well, Paul, for the next 11 chapters, he gives this big picture of God's plan by stating man's condition, man's need to be made righteous since they did not have a righteousness of their own. Um, And this required God's intervention of being made right, of being justified. And that is made possible through one man, the man Christ Jesus, and how it first came to the people of Israel, the Jews, and as now, going to the Gentiles. And so you see the first 11 chapters of Romans. And then you see in chapters 12 through 14, actually 12 through 15, the first part of 15, of, of just how does that, what does that all mean? In view of God's mercy upon my life, how do I live life? And he goes and explains how one ought to live in view of God's mercy. But as we enter in chapter 15, Paul recognized that, that, in theme, that important theme of God's plan and that Worship of the one true God was not meant only for the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. You see there in Romans 15 there, verse 8 through 12, for Paul writes, For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm, to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. 
See, God had this all, all orchestrated. He's made a, he set out a plan, and his word is going to come true. He says later in verse 10, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Paul's declaring what God has promised. Indeed, all the nations, all the peoples will declare the praises of him. But that's not happening yet. He, he writes by way of reminder to the, to the church in Rome there. He writes in verse 15, But I've written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again God's purposes. And really, that's kind of what I'm seeking to do this morning as well. This is nothing necessarily new information, but to serve as a reminder, even while we celebrate Christmas. So I'm going to ask a few questions. Why did Paul expect great things from God? As I said, Paul recognized that one important theme of God's plan to reach the Gentiles. But he also sees three important truths about himself. He, Paul says there in verse 15 and 16 that he was the recipient. He was the recipient of his grace. The grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Ministering as a priest the gospel of God. As I mentioned earlier, Paul has already stated in chapter 1 that he was called. He was called to be an apostle, to be sent to be set apart for this purpose. Not only was he the recipient of his grace, but he was, he was only a messenger. He was just a messenger of what God was gonna, has done through his life in Christ. You find that in verse 17 and 18. Therefore in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak, I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. You see, he's just the messenger. He, it's not about him. He was the recipient of his grace. He was the messenger. But thirdly, he saw the power. He saw the power in preaching Christ. You see that in verse 18 and 19, that the preaching resulted. It resulted in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Again, why did Paul expect great things? He not only saw three truths about himself, that he was just the recipient and the messenger, and he saw the power in preaching, but he saw three major results as a, as a result of all that was in preaching Christ. He saw conversions. The Gentiles were glorifying God for his mercy and praising God and having hope. He's writing to an audience of Jews and Gentiles. So he saw conversions. And if you read in the book of Acts, you see that happening over and over. He saw God's power being displayed. As just mentioned, it resulted in changed lives through changed affections and changed priorities. Gentiles to obedience. By word and deed. Third, he saw the gospel proliferate all over. You see that in verse 19. So that from Jerusalem and roundabout as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. We're talking about, you know, you go Jerusalem, Illyricum, where's that? You know, that's, well, that's 1,400 miles. 1,400 miles in those days of travel without, you know, 747s and express uh, means of travel. He saw that being, the gospel being proliferated. Brothers and sisters, let me remind you that we have seen the same. We have. How do I know that? Did you know that during the past 20 years, we just celebrated 20 years of Foothill Bible Church's existence, but the Lord has enabled this congregation to send and support 
missionaries and ministers of the gospel, resulting in the scriptures being translated to several languages. And at least 10 churches planted from Fontana to Nampa, Idaho, to Querétaro, Mexico, to the Zapotec peoples in Mexico, to Tokyo, Japan, to Marlow, Kenya, to Delhi, India, to Hong Kong, to Taiwan, to France, Argentina, the interiors of China. I can't even mention it because I'm being recorded. As well as we have seen other men becoming pastors and serving in various parts in India, nationals being built up there in India, in Austria, in Germany, in Philippines, in Cote d'Ivoire, in Mali, in Argentina. That's happened over the 20 years. And we quickly forget. That's happened through the ministry here. It's not something to boast about. I'm just declaring what has happened. Allow me to bring you even more home here at Foothill Bible Church. Have we seen God's power? Have we seen conversions here? Gentiles. Gentiles mean non-Jews. You and I. Coming to obedience by word and deed. Have we not? Have we, need, have we seen transformation of marriages and families? Healing of homes. Miracles of God's intervention in the lives of broken people here in this congregation? Have we seen brothers and sisters enduring under pain and suffering and still loving Christ? Have we seen the gospel spread beyond Foothill Bible Church? Let me ask this question. How many here have come to Christ in the last 20 years? Show of hands. Last 20 years, quite a few of you. Last 10 years, last five years. These truths still apply today. And we are only conduits, only instruments of his hand. Let's not deceive ourselves, as I said earlier. This is God's doing. Once we forget or falsely think that we have something to boast about in of ourselves. You know, Paul says in Galatians that if any, anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And brothers and sisters, can we expect great things from God? Yes, and we have. Why? It's when preaching the gospel of Christ, we can expect great things of God. Well, why did, Paul, why did Paul attempt great things for God? You see, Paul recognized that he was the recipient of his grace. He was the messenger of God. And the power was found in preaching Christ. That's why he writes there in, in verse 17, Therefore, I have found reason to boast. That means to glory Pertaining the things of God. But why? You didn't answer why. Well, let me give you two reasons why Paul attempted great things for God. Number one, preaching the gospel results in God's demonstration of his power through signs and wonders in the Holy Spirit. You read the book of Acts, and that's all you read about is God's work through the preaching, the foolish preaching of the gospel. But it results in, in changed lives. And you see, it's God's power that is worked through. It was happening then. It happens today. It happens now. And so why did Paul attempt great things? Because, number one, he, he saw that it, that it results in God's demonstration of his power. But... Preaching the gospel results in more, and this is critical, more people worshiping the one true God. In verse 19, it it says, The evidence of God's power through his spirit from Jerusalem to present-day Albania. That's where Illyricum is, Albania or Macedonia. Um, And once once again, that's amazing considering the forms of transportation uh, 
and all the hazards. If you read, you know, Paul explaining some of the hazards he went through. Um, You see in verse 20 and 21, Paul tempted great things for God because he believed the power of the gospel to transform people, to change their allegiance to the living God in Christ. And thus, it's fulfilling the great commission. It's fulfilling Christ's command. And basically, you know what Paul was doing in attempting great things for God? He was just enjoying the ride. He was really just enjoying the ride of seeing God's work, God at work, and your participation as well. And I'm here just to remind you, that's what we're seeing. God is still working. Well, why do we want to focus this way? When we look back, as I said, the last 20 years, by God's grace, and I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, your participation through prayer, through sacrificial giving, through going and visiting missionaries, through sending words of encouragement, through your love and support of missionaries, even when, they're, when they come home on furlough, you provide gifts and supplies. And all those things are great things for God. Thank you, congregation. Thank you. Thank you, brothers and sisters, for being on behalf of the missionaries and for the nationals. Thank you for being, remaining faithful. You are doing great things for God as a result. I came across this quote this week, and I, I thought it answers, why do we attempt great things for God? It's taken from a book that's recently released by Owen Strachan named, called Risky Gospel. I haven't read the book. I'm not endorsing it. But I like the quote that came from that. So this is what the concept, quote, so this is what the concept of gospel risk, that means attempting great things for God, does for you. It frees you. It positions you to see life with fresh clarity. You're released from the tyranny of small expectations. You're loosed from the chains of fearing what others think of you. In, po- in point of fact, their opinions pale in comparison to God's. You're freed from the endless cycle of brand management. It's not your reputation among fellow sinners that gives you happiness. It's being a child of God. And I say amen that attempting great things for God lends proper perspective. Why attempt great things for God? Because that is true reality. Heaven is real, and so is hell. And so we need to keep that perspective. So what does this passage have to do with us during this Christmas season? You're probably wondering that. Uh, Well, you might as well ask, why do we have Christmas? You know, notice there in, in verse 21, Paul quotes, he quotes Isaiah 52, 15. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. That comes from Isaiah fifty-two fifteen, and that comes from a bigger context. You see, Isaiah was a prophet 700 years before. God will fulfill his promises, not only in Christ, but it would result in the Gentiles worshiping the one true God, the creator of the heavens and earth, that those who have never been told will see and those who have never heard will understand. That's God declaring that 700 years through Isaiah, 700 years before Paul came in the picture. You know, we have, to be, we have to remember that the Lord is not slow in his promises, as some count slowness. But he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. Let me give you that, once again, that greater context of Isaiah 52 there. And I'm going to read you Isaiah 52, 13 through chapter 53, verse 6. I'm reading this. Again, in view of Christmas. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up 
and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds are we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Brothers and sisters, that is why we celebrate Christmas. We believe that God sent only one man, the man Christ Jesus, born into this world with one primary purpose. The iniquity of us all was laid upon him. It was he who was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. You know, the birth of Christ has no special significance unless... We recognize that his birth only points to the purpose of his life and death. You know, during this Christmas season, I, like so many of you, have traditions decorating the house inside and out. And a few years ago, I was reading this book to my son's Safely Home by Randy Alcorn. And I was sobered with the reality that much of our lights and ornaments are made in China often by ones who are in forced labor camps because of their beliefs. And I found myself pausing to see the sad irony of buying stuff to celebrate the birth of Christ made by brothers and sisters who are forced to make these products because of their faith in Christ. What an irony. You know, the story of Christmas, the story of God's deliverance of a people unto himself for the purpose of worship was not meant, it was not meant to be kept to oneself or enjoyed alone. Sometimes the danger of our affluence today as Christians is that we can easily forget that the Christmas story is all about recounting God's glory. But instead we get caught up in recounting, or we get caught up in our own glory of what we can buy for ourselves. Uh, for our family or friends or what kind of parties or foods or festivals or decorations in our home, we find, our, our, uh, we find ourselves concerned about our gifts to give or get, but forgetting, even foregoing, the celebration of God's gift to the world called Emmanuel, God with us. Our celebration and de- declaration is supposed to be shared We bring, what? Glad tidings of good news. You know, we are not just preaching or declaring about Jesus of the past when we celebrate Christmas. But Jesus who reigns in the coming future as the King of kings and Lord of lords. How do I know that? Because what I just read earlier there in Isaiah 52, 15 or there in Romans 15, 21. By God's grace, we at Foothill Bible Church desire to continue our sending and supporting of missionaries, church planters, and gospel preachers in making an open declaration of our priorities that reflects what Paul wrote there earlier in Romans 10 
when he said, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Brothers and sisters, our task is not over until he returns. You've heard it said here, mission exists because worship doesn't. And it doesn't exist in over those 6,000 people groups around the world. This morning, I read from a missionary who currently serves in Illyricum in, in present-day Macedonia. You know, he grew up here at Foothill Bible Church, and his family later moved back east. But he wrote this morning, and he says, I expect that if I preach the Word of God, the Spirit of God will work. Hearts will be changed, and Christ will be worshipped in my town. The work that I'm doing is incredibly important. If the gospel is preached, people live. If it isn't, people die in their sins. That's the true reality. Well, you may be asking, how do I tempt? How do I tempt great things for God? How can I do? What can I do while living here in Upland? I'm on a limited income or... I'm limited in mobility. I'm, I'm limited in education. I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm not a preacher. I'm not, like, I'm not called like Paul. True enough. Most of us, if not a majority of here, are not going to be doing things of that nature that Paul did. But you still can attempt great things for God. How? I'm going to introduce you a Japanese word. You've, you, many of you have heard this word, skosh, um, means a little. Well, it actually comes from the Japanese word, skoshi. And I want to introduce the word skoshizutsu. Skoshizutsu means a little at a time. A little at a time. You know, small successes in little things leads to bigger successes. And so how are you going to attempt great things for God? Skoshizutsu, just a little by little. In three practical ways. And you know, I may be saying to I may be saying things that you are already practicing. Well, praise God. But you can continue to do a little bit more. Skoshizutsu, a little bit more. Number one, begin by praying. Pray for intercession. Paul writes there in verse 30 of chapter 15 that I appeal to you, brothers by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. You you see, Paul needed prayers. And you can pray. You can pray as well to intervene on those who have been sent out. I'm going to give you a list of things you can be praying for. You can pray for Summit Bible Church, the church plant we sent several miles east of here, for Pastor Jeremy and Allie, and for the team there, that the gospel will continue to flourish in North Fontana. You can pray for the ministry of ISI here. That's the international student outreach led by Peter and Vanessa Bugby. You can pray that God's word will take root among the nations who are coming here to our schools and neighborhoods. And we have a chance to declare the glorious gospel. You can pray for intercession that, and, and interceding that God's Word will take root. You can pray for crew on Cal Poly campus, led by Jim and Christy Kirchival, as they seek to make the gospel known to the students there, both domestic or uh, regular American students and international students as well. You can pray for the team there. You can pray for Awana, as God is making the word of God hidden in the children's heart in our community. You can pray for our missionaries abroad. If you don't know who those are, they're in the back, in the foyer there. You can see a list there. 
But you can pray for intercession. Just a little at a time. Just one. You can pray for clear priorities upon your own life. You can even pray just verse 13 there. That, that may the God of hope fill you with all joy and, and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I, I'm struggling. So you can pray and ask, God, lend clear priorities in my life. Begin by praying, number one. Begin by praying. Number two, you can provide support to ones who are already sent. You know, Paul writes there in verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Paul had ambitious attempts for God. He wanted to go to Spain. Now, he didn't get there as far as, far as we know. But he attempted great things for God. But he says there in verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Helped. That means supported. That means cared for by the church in Rome, by the brothers and sisters there. You can provide support to ones who are being sent. Why is that important? You know, the New Testament, and specifically John writes there in 3 John, that, beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, these missionaries, Strangers as they are, and indeed sometimes they are strangers, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the non-believers, from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow Workers for the truth. I said pray and provide support to ones who are being sent out. Third, third way you can do it, a little at a time. Preach Christ in your sphere of influence. Will you declare similarly to verse 18 that Paul says, I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. You know, all of us have declared, all of us who have declared their allegiance to follow Jesus Christ in one sense, you know, we're, we're an open book to those around you to read. When they look at you, if you've declared that I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a Christian, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I celebrate Christmas because I believe God sent forth his son. What you are doing is you are declaring your, not only your allegiance, but you're an open book. And either you reflect this great truth of Christmas or you deny the very one who came into this world to set men free from sin and death. Brothers and sisters, I love this one quote. It says, What you love and what you hate reveals what you really are. What you love and what you hate reveals really what you are. I trust when you say, I am a Christian, I love Jesus. I, people see that in you. And so when I say preach Christ, just declare what Christ has accomplished through me. That's all you need to do. You don't need to be some well-eloquent you know, preacher, it'd be nice, but, you know, just declare what Christ, Christ has done in your life. Skoshizutsu, a little at a time. You know, one of the arguments for non-support for unreached peoples is that there are so many needs here, but may I appeal to you that mission experts consider a place reached, and I think I said this earlier, that... If there's one preacher for every 50,000 people, that's considered reached. And I said that there are over 50% of the world is still unreached. You know, here in Upland of around 80,000 people, how many preachers and believers of the gospel do we have here? How many in this room? I'd say more than one. 
say quite a few. Well, does it matter that much? Does it really, does it really matter that much? Let me share a story here. Over 15 years ago, there's one young girl who was impressed by the fact that there are peoples around the world who have never heard the good news. Little by little, skoshizutsu, she proceeded by faith to apply herself a little at a time. She went to college, went to nursing school, became a registered nurse. She got involved in the local church here at Foothill in various ministries. She went on short-term ministries to confirm this call. She got her master's degree and went off to language school. And earlier this year, we sent her out from Foothill Bible Church. She's now serving in Papua New Guinea. You know her, Promise Vaughn. Does it matter? To the Tongwa peoples, the people whom she is now translating the scriptures, even right now, she's living amongst the people. To the Tongwa peoples and the neighboring tribes, it's a matter of life and death because they see the gospel has brought deliverance from Satan, deliverance from death. To us who have heard the Christmas story year after year, it's just another season. But to those who have never heard, it really matters. It really does matter. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary statesman who served in China over 150 years ago, he once said, I have found that there are three Stages in every great work of God. First, it is impossible. Then, it is difficult. Then, it is done. You know, for the Apostle Paul, it didn't come all at once. You know, he he writes there that I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. It didn't come all at once. It was skoshizutsu, a little at a time. You read the New Testament and you think, wow, I can never do that. You know, and you're right. If, if you think you can do it in, in a few months or in a few weeks or a few years, this is over a span of many years. It starts a little at a time. Skoshizutsu. You know, may it be said of you and me. May it be said of you and me. And thus, we would echo these words by Paul. And thus, I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. You know, may God help us to remain focused on being part of God's instruments in the fulfillment of this task so that His glory is expanded and His word is fulfilled. That's what I'm talking about this morning. It's about His glory. It is about, are we excited about His glory? It's about His name and reputation. His word being fulfilled and promised. Brothers and sisters, are you in it for the ride? And just see what God does through your life, in our lives. And I want to say again, thank you for being faithful. Many of you have been faithful for many years. And many who are new to this body, I'm asking you. And I'm asking the next generation. Brothers and sisters, we need faithful men and women to expect great things from God. And attempt... Attempt great things for God because 
He is worthy. When you think about what he has done for your life and delivering you from the bondage of sin and death, may God inspire you to see something bigger than yourself. The gospel is definitely worthy. And so we're going to close with a song of um, joy to the world. But let me just close in a word of prayer. Our gracious Father and our mighty God, your word has declared that worthy are you to take this scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And you say later that I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Father, we believe these words because you have written them and they have been declared. But Father, we confess. We forget. We confess that we oftentimes live in a life of unbelief. And we're asking, Father, that you would enlarge, and enlarge our capacity to worship and adore you, that you would help us to expect great things from you and to attempt great things for you because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would help us that we may declare the praises of you who called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, we are asking for you to change us, even in this time that we celebrate Christmas. We ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.